0: Welcome to another episode of Always Hope. I'm your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and happy to have you with us today. On Always Hope, I'm usually the one who's asking the questions and guiding the conversation. But in this very special episode, the roles have been reversed. On February 25th, 2019, I was invited to do an open Q&A on dating and relationship at the John Paul II house at Louisiana State University. That's a Catholic fraternity at a public school, which is just pretty awesome. The JP2 house is a ministry of Christ the King, the parish on LSU's campus. So what you're getting in this episode is the full Q and A with minimal edits. The doors were open to whoever wanted to come and the room was packed with a good mix of men and women in attendance. It is a lively conversation where the students asked me great questions about dating, marriage, raising kids, discernment, stages of relationships, and of course the much contested question, is there a soulmate? Man, it was awesome to answer these questions. So a very special shout out to the folks at Christ the King who made this episode possible. Father Andrew Merrick, the pastor, thanks for letting this take place at your parish. Adam trufan who came up with the idea and really put the whole thing together. Man, you rock. The guys at the JP2 house, thanks for your hospitality to me and everyone else who crashed your living room that evening. And to Shelly Pergola for your technical wizardry. This episode just turned out amazing. Thank you all for making it possible. So this episode is the beginning of a mini-series that I'm doing on relationship advice. The next few episodes of Always Hope will focus on prayer and marriage, how pornography disrupts our ability to discern marriage or celibacy, and other dating advice. As I've said before, this podcast wants you to find God's goodness in life's challenges. So we have to bring hope and clarity to marriage and relationships. Please, please, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss future episodes. All right. Let's get into this AMA about dating.
1: Our first question of the evening, what are some practical tips and do's and don'ts to strengthen a Catholic relationship?
0: Great question to whoever put that out on the Google Docs beforehand. <laughs> all right, so this is going to go through some of my general relationship advice. So let's go through it. Um, first, it may sound like a no-brainer, but pray together. All right, pray together with the person that you're dating. Go to Mass. Go to adoration. Do those spiritual things. Make sure that God is the center of your relationship. Absolutely, that's the first thing, is, is making sure that, that he is the foundation. But he is the foundation but also recognizing that you're two individual people, and so your personalities are instrumental in any dating relationship. Just because the guy likes Jesus doesn't mean that you are going to be compatible in a relationship. All right? Is that (laughs) fair? Fair? Fair enough? Everybody laughs? You got it? Vice versa, guys, right? Just because you like Jesus and you do pray, which should be the foundation, you need to have other interests that round out a relationship. So don't over-spiritualize things, okay? That's one of my my first advice uh, points here is find interests, find things that you like to do. If there's restaurants or movies, having those type of conversations, going out hiking, doing those type of things so that you're able to cultivate a well-rounded relationship and being able to to build it on the fullness of each other's personalities because that's the stuff that's really going to make the relationship work, friendship. Friendship is the key here. Praying together absolutely is the foundation, but that what builds upon that is, is authentic friendship, and, and that is absolutely needed. So certainly those things. Now something I want to add to this I'm going to keep going here because I've counseled a number of couples in, in people your age, and, and there's one thing I've heard kind of repeatedly as, as I've uh, listened to, to a number of stories is this notion of fear, if I may say that, or pressure, uh, to have to be perfect. Um, or fear of a commitment in general that seems to be more uh, operative, I think, in in this younger generation and and within you guys and maybe when I was around or even the generations before. Um, So I have a couple thoughts to that, if I may answer that. It may or may not be your experience, but if it is, I'm just going to offer a couple words of advice here. Uh, the, The first thing is, why does it seem like there's this challenge to commit to relationships? Why does it seem to be harder to commit to relationships? than maybe in, in years past. Well, I think we live in an age where like, we love having choices, but no one has to make a commitment. So I can, uh, instead of buying CDs like we used to, I just stream on Spotify. Uh, instead of owning a car, I just take an Uber. Instead of actually owning a bike, I just go do one of the bike share things that are around town. If they're here in Baton Rouge, I'm not sure. Now, these are all great and they're fun, they're awesome, but the thing is, when you don't have a car or you don't have a bike or you don't even have like a physical CD, you don't have anything you have to actually have to take care of. That means you don't actually have something you have to be responsible for. And so there's this shift moving away from responsibility to, to have just options open. I love having my options open. I love being able to see my Netflix and see how many movies that I want to watch when act- without actually having to pick one movie. I just like knowing that they're there. I like having my Apple music and knowing that I can listen to whatever song I want to that was ever created in the history of music. But actually taking the time to pick one song, man, it's like an endeavor. <laughs> that takes a very long time. So just in general, there's this shift culturally that we moved away from, from commitment as a whole. And I think those of us who have been raised in this uh, find it harder to actually have to stick to to, to making a decision. Um, the second thing is connected to that is the sense of perfectionism. I'll, I'll say this right out of the gate. You don't have to be perfect to date. You don't have to be perfect to date. You don't have to wait To You are a perfect human being before you commit yourself to somebody else. You don't. See, if marriage is a vocation, that means it's a calling from God to lead you to holiness. In other words, you will be a finished product at the end of marriage, not at the beginning. (laughs) Got that? You understand what I'm saying here? You'll be a perfect product, hopefully, by the end, when you're close to those gates, than you are at the very beginning. So everybody just relax, right? You're not perfect. The guy you're dating is not perfect. The girl you're dating is not perfect. And that is okay. So again, not to dog our, our, our age. I love social media. Obviously, we're doing this as a podcast. So people who are going to be listening to it are going to be on their phones while they're driving somewhere. But I do find, <laughs> I do find that social media, unfortunately, has this unintentional consequence of perfectionism. That when I look at Instagram, all I see is the beautiful pictures of people. Or when I post a picture of Instagram, I got to make sure that I've found the right filter and I've cropped it a certain way and I've made it look as natural as possible, but really spent about 30 minutes cropping the image. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, this creates this false narrative that everybody looks the way that we think they're going to look on social media. So one, there's that. The second unintentional consequence of social media is that it doesn't leave room for accidental encounters anymore. Everything is controlled. Conversation is controlled. I can receive a text and I can wait for 15 minutes to respond. And when I respond, I can edit it as much as I want before I hit send. That sort of synchronous back and forth, meeting a girl for the first time and fumbling over your words and you feel uncomfortable because you're really attracted to her and you don't really know, like all that stuff is kind of gone or at least it's, it's not as common as it used to be. But those were all signs, those were all tells of ways that you knew that you were interested in somebody and the ways that you can have these conversations and the ways that actually made you vulnerable. Vulnerability isn't a bad thing. And we've lost that, I think, in our day and age when everything seems to be controlled and manufactured and, and tailor-made to look as perfect as possible for the world to see, okay? So, you guys with me so far? All right, so let's make this even more practical. Basic questions to ask yourself when you're dating somebody or mutually discerning into going to a more serious relationship. First and foremost, it's going to sound really dumb, but it's really important. Do you enjoy their company? Period. Do you actually like hanging out with the person that you're dating? Or do you feel that every time you get the text, you're like, ooh, I'm not going to reply to that one right now. We're just going (laughs) to... What's going on, dudes? Hey, everybody's having a good time, right? You know, do we do one of these things, or, or, or are we actually, like, excited when we get the text and that we enjoy, enjoy their company? So those things are absolutely important. Second thing is, I mean, you know, again, not being super spiritual, do we find the person attractive? I mean, like, physically attractive, right? Do you like the way that they look? Is you, are you drawn to that? Is there something inside of you that still gets those butterflies when you see them? Are you, are you drawn to that? That's okay. That's, that's part of a relationship. That, that should be there. Absolutely. When you are in a dating relationship, do you find that you are growing as a person? That's a great question to ask in terms of discernment. Is this relationship making me a better version of myself or is it not? Is it pulling me away from that? And the last kind of advice here I would say is um, be patient with yourself. again focus on the moment in terms of when, it, when to take the next step. I think sometimes we're, we're, we're too far ahead of ourselves and we want to we try to figure it all out and we're weighing all the options and oh man, I have this little thought here and, and she did this thing and I don't really like that, but, but I really like this over here and so what's going on? And I have to weigh the options and figure this all out and, and, and it's like, okay, just again, just calm down. Like, Just let the relationship unfold as it needs to and everything, I promise you, will become clear. So connected to that, though, are arguments, okay? Arguments, discussions, disagreements. Two imperfect human beings coming together for any extended amount of time is going to have moments of friction. That is okay. The relationship is not over because you have an argument, because you're not happy all the time. That's okay. You can have those moments. The question to ask yourself is really this. How often are the arguments, what's the frequency of them, and how intense are they? Okay? That's how you can, you can figure out in terms of discernment if the person you're with is somebody you want to commit to and you want to stay moving, you want to keep moving forward with. How frequent are the, are the disagreements, and how often are they? And then when you try to have the makeup conversation afterwards, how do you feel after that conversation? Do you feel like the person heard you, understood what you had to say, or do you feel like even more exhausted like you've been trying to explain yourself, and they, don't, they still don't get it? Okay, that, that's a good, tie, good, it's a good sign that the person is actually listening to you and, and willing to hear what you have to say and, and is willing to grow in, in humility you know, and recognition when, when they've done something wrong. So, let's keep rolling. Awesome. The second question, how do you guard your heart in a relationship? Take it slow. Take it slow. That's the answer. Take it slow, both emotionally and physically. Take it slow. When you're having conversations with somebody, you don't have to put all your pearls on the table. You start by the general stuff. What, what do you like? What movies do you like? What, what political thoughts do you have? And, and then you start doing stuff together. Oh, let's go to the pool and you know, let's have some fun. Let's do some of these things. Let's go on a hike together. Let's go to the beach. Let's have a good time. And, and, then, and then you start moving to the more serious conversations. What was your upbringing like? How many siblings do you have? what was it like with your dad kind of the deeper stuff or your mom and and then even then you st- once you start moving into that then you can get into the, the even more you know intimate conversations what's your sexual history like what was that like for you what what is what you know what, what is your experience with pornography and those type of things those conversations you don't have those typically on the second date the person has to earn your trust to get to the point that you can actually you know have that type of depth of a conversation so emotionally take it slow take it slow don't reveal everything right out of the gates it's okay to play a little hard to get they have to earn your trust and you have to earn their trust to be able to have these more intense conversations second thing physically same thing take it slow recognize that that chastity is is a is good it's a virtue that's needed because you don't know if you're gonna be sticking around with this person and I found that uh relationships that break up, it's, it's easier for people to maintain some type of friendship or, or even connection after the fact if they haven't crossed all those sexual lines. And the reason is because sex, as much as we want to say, oh, it's just sex, it's just sex. We say that in our culture all the time. I really think only the most callous person really believes that. Um, because the reality is that there's all this bonding and unitive element that happens when we engage in those practices. And so if you're with somebody for an extended period of time and then you break up, it's really hard to just have a regular relationship with them if you've crossed all of those physical lines. So take it slow. That's how you guard your heart. Let them earn your heart, your emotions, and your body so that mutually you can grow in, in your relationship together. Cool? All right. All right. Let's open this up. What do we got?
2: Just as a clarification, what what exactly does it mean to guard your heart? Or what does that entail? Why would one want to?
0: Because your heart is good. Your soul is good. And being vulnerable means that you can be hurt. so when you're going to be vulnerable with somebody when you're going to display that goodness to another person when you're going to open up that intimately with somebody else you want to make sure that that person has earned your trust and when you trust somebody you're saying okay now i can be now i can be open now i can be sensitive now i can reveal to you the parts of me that i don't reveal to everybody else because we do need to have guards like it's okay sometimes we need to have that armor up to protect us because we live in a world that that times does, does wanna take advantage of us. And we're gonna interact with people who aren't the best either. And so to guard your heart is to preserve the goodness that's there. It's not out of fear, it's out of prudence. It's, I have a goodness that's inside of me that everybody hasn't, doesn't have the right to see, only a few people do. Um, so that's what it means to, to guard your heart.
2: Um, so this, I guess, is a question a bit more down the line in terms of relationship. Sounds good. But I guess we can also apply it to maybe how you can consider that now for people who are in a relationship. Um, With families, how would you say in your experience of counseling and just maybe just meeting couples and families to move from the parent-child role, as in where like, even if the child has grown up into a young adult and maybe the parents still see him or her as just the kid and that relationship never changes and how can maybe people who are dating and are starting to consider a possible vocation together maybe prepare their way to like I guess just raise their kids in a way that is disciplined but at the same time still eventually you can like be not be friends with them but like move from that just role of parent kid
0: Yeah, great question. So I hear a couple questions that you're asking, actually, is one, how do we, and as we're emerging adults here, those of us who are hashtag adulting in the room, um, move from a place of I'm trying to have a relationship with my parents that now, as an adult, is different than when it was as a kid. So that's one question, how dating helps within that, you know, kind of framework. But then more down the line, how when I start having kids, do I raise my kids with that type of expectation? Um, So let me start with that one, because that one actually is a little bit easier to answer than than the other one is. uh, Because I have kids right now, so I can can just explain from my perspective. When you have kids, you, you realize that they're not your own. They're my flesh and blood, but I'm actually just a steward of their lives. Their life does not belong to me. That's it. Their life is their own. That's it. And my job is to give them the foundation that I can give them, a home that's built on love, teach them, give them experiences. They're going to fall. How do I respond to that? How do I teach them mercy but encourage them to be better so they don't develop all these scripts of perfectionism and shame and, and beating themselves up and trying to create an environment that that's loving but at the same time is setting itself up that they are going to leave and they are going to be adults because their life is their own. And so I know that from the get-go, and I'm trying to raise them in a way that is pushing them in that direction. That I don't want to control them. And even my teenager, I don't want to control them. We have rules in the house, and he has to know what those rules are. And when he breaks them, then certainly we're going to to have conversations about that. But at the same time, he's got to have the opportunity to break the rules. He's got to be able to learn for himself what's right and what's wrong. He's got to be able to sift with his own heart and what his desires are, what's good and what's not good. He's got to know how to navigate relationships and who are good people to hang out with and who are bad people to hang out with. He's got to know how to figure all those things out. And I would rather him try to figure those things out now in high school so that when he is in college and he's living by himself, then he's a little bit more prepared to be able to start making those adult decisions. So, kids are not yours. They're God's. And that's what's important. Back to the first point then. If you find yourself in a situation where your parents don't see that, or don't see it that way, and they still see you as a kid, recognize that, or remember that, they wiped your hiney when you were born, all right? And so there's always gonna be a part of you that they're always gonna see that way, all right? Uh, and so you don't have to assert your dominance or assert yourself, but just, again, within the framework that you have, set appropriate boundaries, have the conversations with your parents that you think is, is, is appropriate, and if you are dating somebody, then being able to have these conversations with your, with your um, you know significant other so that you can be honest with one another about what the challenges are as you are changing. Because it is. There's a, there's a real change. As you're bringing somebody else into your life, it's hard for parents because the parental relationship up until this point was the primary one. It was your parents and you as in the family unit. But now when you're bringing somebody else in, I mean, as scripture says a man shall leave his mother and father and, and join to his wife. In, and so then he, he has to leave mom and dad, and that, that can be hard. That can be hard for parents. Uh, so we have to grieve that. But having those conversations with, with the person that you're with um, is important so that the two of you are kind of beginning to share that load in navigating those lines together and knowing what's appropriate in terms of should I go or, or not go over to my house because, you know, it's going to be really awkward with mom. Um, She doesn't really like you, you know, so what are we going to do, right? But do you still like her? Do you choose the girl uh, or do you choose mom? And those are all tricky questions right there. So um, navigate them well in conversation, stay connected. Uh, I think that that's that's the way to kind of handle that. Come on up.
1: So it it seems like we're caught between this desire for intimacy and this need for prudence, um, especially in relationships. How do we allow an organic development um, as opposed to sort of overreacting one way or the other or thinking about it and like, okay, no, no, we're growing in our relationships or like, okay, no, 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 like, we're like, we're slowing it down, we're slowing it down. And how do we kind of
0: think about it, but not think about it too much? <laughs> not think about it too much? <laughs> is, that, is, that, is,
3: that, is that
0: the answer? Can I, can I give you that? Is that the answer? Is that sufficient? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, geez, uh, let go of perfectionism again. Let go of control. Just enjoy the ride. I mean, just enjoy the relationship. Enjoy where you are right now. Enjoy dating. Enjoy getting to know the person. Don't overly scrutinize every word that comes out of their mouth or every text message. What did he mean? What did she mean? Why she? I Man, just just relax. Just have a good time. I don't know what to say. It's just it's not that hard. We overcomplicate <laughs> these things. <laughs> So yes, just relax. And if you find yourself being overly scrupulous or scrutinous or whatever it is, you're always thinking, like, tell your friends about that. And be like, man, I just can't stop thinking about what this is and all this, like, putting all the pieces. Because that's what it is. We're just trying to put it all the pieces so that, like, we can have control. And it's like, if I can map this out and I know which way this thing's going, then I can kind of work with that, you know, and I can kind of take that step forward and move in that direction. And that's not life. Like, it's not, like, I know exactly what the next thing is going to look like. That way I can make the safest step forward as, as as best as I can. That's just not the way it works. Like you discern in the moment by 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 looking back in the past and you try to figure out, okay, how has this thing looked? God, what are you doing in my heart? Am I attentive to, to what my experience is? Do I, do I know what's going on inside of me? Do I know how you speak to me in the moment? Because the moment is all we have. You understand that? Like the moment is all we have. Grace is particular to every single moment. And right now is it. That's all we have. All of time, all of history finds its point right now. That's it. So whatever comes down the line, we're not supposed to be worrying about. And Jesus is very clear about that. Sufficient for a day is its own trouble. Sufficient for its day is its own evil. Sufficient for its day is its own worry. Tomorrow will take care of itself if we have faith and if we have hope to believe that God who has promised good things to us will make those things manifest. So stop weighing everything that's happening in the relationship and just enjoy it and trust that over time, God, if you're, if you're connected with him and you know how he speaks to you, will, will reveal to you when it's time to continue to move forward or when it's time to break up. Because breaking up, dating, you can break up while you're dating. You can break up when you're engaged. You can. Absolutely. you laughing. I'm being serious. You're not married yet see we've lost this sense also of like a hierarchy of a relationship this is all it's all a wash it's all like it's all just you know shifting. what are we doing oh we're dating oh we're married oh we're engaged we're nothing we're just smarter than that like it's all like equal now and that's gone like It's like these labels used to exist we we dated, we went into a courtship we went into engagement, and now we're married and the reason that there was these levels that used to exist is because it it Demarcated or manifest or whatever, some sense of um, commitment, the level of commitment as you go up the rung, you're more committed to the person, which also means that you're more responsible for what you do in the relationship. That's what goes up also. Commitment and responsibility, love and responsibility increase as you move forward in a, in, in a relationship. Um, so, uh, I don't know why I just went off on all that. <laughs> saying I really got lost there so it's good all right love one another all right so let's keep going next question let's roll come on let's get a lady on the phone
3: um and you're you've been doing this for a long time marriage counseling um, have you ever, what, what does the general process look like whenever you have a couple that is just completely, in a marriage in particular, that is seemingly so broken and they're like last resort is you? What does the process look like? I know it's different for everybody d- depending on why they're coming to see you, but how do you generally take them to the road to amend things? And, and second question is, has there been a situation where you weren't like, despite your efforts and them trying, they still decided to, unfortunately, get divorced. And why? Like, why do you think that that happens?
0: Great questions. Okay. Okay, so first and foremost, I'm not Superman, right? And, and I think any therapist, if any of you is, are discerning, going into psychology or mental health counseling or licensed marriage or family therapy, you have to recognize you are not a Superman, so I like to think of it in, in kind of four categories. People who come to see me, of all the people I've seen, I can divvy them up in four categories. There's a small group of people that I have, that I know I have, like without a doubt, if it wasn't for me, their life wouldn't be what it is. And, and that's, a, that's a small sliver of the population. And I'm grateful to have worked with those people. There's a large group that I've worked with and I've been grateful to help, but I mean, they maybe could have seen somebody else and got the same progress, you know, but... But, but I helped them. There's another group of people that I didn't help at all. Not the right fit, personality-wise. We see each other for a while, maybe I'm not giving them what they need. Haven't helped them, no problem. And there's a, there's only like a couple people that I would say have actually like, probably made their life worse. But that's, that's we'll edit that part out of the podcast. So, <laughs> it's just reality. We're all people. Um, so. You have to know when you're working with people, when they come to me, even when they're in dire straits, like you talked about with the first question, um, that you're only going to be able to do so much, in all honesty. When somebody comes to you that it's like the 11th hour, the 11th and a half hour before a divorce, and they're coming to you saying, fix me, what do you want me to do? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not some magic worker. I don't have like a wand that I can give you and say, all right, let's just, let's just kind of get this fixed, and you, everything's going to be happy. Um, because you have so many issues at work here, and often what happens is it's a long-standing history of criticism, of contemptuous behavior, and sometimes, that, and not even talking about affairs, we're just talking about like a cycle of, of negativity, that a cycle of negativity feeds on itself, and what happens is then you only start to think of the person in negative terms, so even when they do something good, like bring flowers as an attempt to repair things, you view that suspiciously. Psh, flowers, what's the matter with this guy? You know, why didn't he bring me chocolates? He knows I like chocolates. Or he brings you flowers, and you're like, oh, carnations. What a cheap son of a you know, beep, right? <laughs> he should have brought me roses. What's the matter? You know, so even the attempt to try to do something is viewed negatively. So when you're in that much of a hole, it's really hard to kind of get out of that. Okay. Is it impossible? Of course it's not impossible. With grace, all things are possible. And when I work with couples that come to me, I give them freedom, certainly, to make the decisions that they have to make, but they know when they sign up to see me that I'm going to try to work with them towards sal- saving their relationship. And that, that's generally my, my MO. So where do you start? Well, you try to de-escalate the problem, the arguments, try to get them to a point where at least they can have conversation or even just stand being in the room together. And once you can do that, then you can start building on that to reestablish trust which is to say also reestablish intimacy. So de-escalating the, the arguments, the intensity, as we said earlier, de-escalating that, get them in the point where they actually stand one another. And if they can stand one another and be in each other's company, we can move towards reestablishing trust and taking those risks to be intimate with one another. Have there been times when people have gotten divorced after seeing me? Of course. I'm not. Like I said, I'm not Superman. Uh, I'm not um, some, some, some wizard you know, who can save everybody who comes to see me. No, of course not. Uh, in, are there circumstances where I think it's been the right thing? Yeah, absolutely. Even as a Catholic therapist, I say that. Um, because uh, I think there, it, when, we, when we judge things sacramentally, there, there has to be some manifestation of the sacrament. Now, ultimately, the, the, the church is the one who makes the declaration if the sacrament was present or not. We call that a declaration of nullity, a.k.a. an annulment. But there should be some signs that are present there that if somebody does get divorced, then I strongly encourage couples or the individuals at that point to then go get the annulment process done as soon as possible so that, that kind of marital autopsy, so to speak, can be performed to determine whether or not the sacrament was there or not, if there's grounds for an annulment. Again, annulment is to say that there was some something that was that was present at the day of of. Of consent, which is to say that the wedding day, the day that the vows were exchanged, that precluded the sacrament from from taking place, um, and so you can you can reflect on the relationship and look back on that, to determine whether or not the sacrament was there. So, I can go into that more if you want, but we can we can stop right there. Is that right? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Um, okay, from your own experience in your years counseling couples, what is the biggest obstacle slash struggle? you have seen which seems to surface during dating or marriage, kind of like across the board. I know you've dealt with a lot of people, but the one that just keeps seeming to surface. Yeah, and this is good. Okay, how so do you,
0: How do you deal with that? Two things. Dating, fear. Honestly, that perfectionism, all that stuff that I was talking about, having to make decisions and having control of your life and trying to put all the pieces together so you know safely how to take one step with minimal risk as possible, that like fear is, is what I see the most in dating relationships. In married relationships, what I see is, um, my, in my estimation, the biggest threat to married couples today is busyness. Is busyness. I think we have such temptation to be pulled away from one another, and it is super easy to drift apart because we have so many things going on. And once you start having kids, you'll realize even more so One has a job, the other has a job, and then you have three kids, or two kids, or four kids, or whatever it is, and you're trying to manage their schedules on top of your schedules, and it's like, what's going on? You know? Like, there can be like weeks go by, and I just have to like find my wife, and I'm like, hey, nice to meet you. (laughs) My name's Mario. What's going on? You want to go get a drink later, right? (laughs) You know, you got to like reestablish some type of contact because it's so easy to to drift apart. It It really is. And so that busyness, I honestly think, is the biggest threat to relationships today. You have to make each other a priority. And if your relationship is founded on friendship, like I said earlier, see, this hierarchy, it's not that you leave one to go to the other. It's they build on one another. You never stop dating your wife. You never stop getting to know her. You never stop trying to figure her out. Those are the things that you do the rest of your life. I mean it sincerely. In her to me. Right? I still do bonehead things. She's like, what the? What are you doing? Oh, there's new interest that emerged, there's a new movie that I want to see. And she's like, why do you want to see that? I don't know, I want to see it. Stop judging me. What's the matter with you, girl? All right, come on. Stop being so judgy, right? So that 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 sense of like openness to to exploring, but but if 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 your relationship is founded on friendship, I tell you, it, it's a gold mine. Because it, it'll it'll be um it'll be your marker, it'll be your indicator when your relationship starts to drift. Why? Because you'll start missing your friend. And when you start missing your friend, you know that the relationship's moving in a bad direction. And then you have to go find her or find him. And you've got to go reestablish that again and go do one of those things again to, to reconnect and to reestablish and reconnect uh, in a way that's, that's current to now. Not just what happened 10 years ago, but what's happening now. That's always the challenge in a relationship, in a long-term marriage. So, what are the steps to take uh, from going from a friendship to start dating? Like, what are the steps to take from a friendship? Starting a friendship and then going to dating? To go from friendship to like relationship. Hooking up? Of dating. I'm just joking. could resist. Sorry, that was too easy. Uh, <laughs> I just got to make sure everybody's listening, you know, because we got real serious here for a few minutes, so. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Adam's like, never, I'm fighting this guy back again. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> um... Yeah, no, I, I mean, honestly, like, I, I guess I'm joking about that. But no, seriously, like, it, there's a place where if you're, if you're moving in a direction where you feel like you like the girl, you got to ask her out. you gotta, you got to be man enough to ask her out. And you got to see, I, Fulton Sheen says this. He says, the reason that men ask the girls out isn't just because of some archaic chivalry, but it's actually because it's the man who makes the sacrifice. It's, it's the man who puts himself out there for rejection. And that's why men are the ones who ask out. That's why men are the ones who ask the woman to marry him. Because it's the, the, the fear of rejection is, is then put on the man. And so that's an act of charity that men take on for women. Or at least it should be. We've lost that. But let's reclaim that. All right. So you ask her out. Uh, and that's not to say that girls can't ask guys out either. But I just want to put that out there. But you, you ask her out. And then you state your intentions. You say, hey, I, I, you know, I, I kind of like you. You, when you want to go out and get a cup of coffee, or you want to go get a drink, or there's this awesome guy giving a talk tonight, you know, at the Christ the King. You want to go listen. Yeah, that'd be great. Let's go. It'd be awesome. And then you just, you start talking. I don't know what else happens. What else? I don't know what happens. What happens? You know, you start dating. And then, and then, then you kiss. I mean, what you, like, that's... That's all part of it, right? I mean, come on. And if she kisses back, then yay, all right. Things are good. All right. We're happy. This is good. If she goes like this, you know, what are you doing, bucko? And you say, all right, well, now I know. We're just friends. I'm sorry I missed the cues, girl. All right. And then you keep moving, all right? That's what you do. It's, it's not rocket science. People have been doing this for thousands of years right you know it's not like we're just figuring out this problem now i mean this is this is something that's been happening all all throughout time um so does that make sense cool
3: (laughs) go ahead Okay, so earlier you were talking about, you know, the stages of a relationship. You know, first it's very generic, and then you get more serious, you ask about their family, and then you said, like, you ask them about their sexual history. Do you think that that is really necessary, or is it going to be detrimental to the relationship? Because personally, like, that is not something that I have ever asked him about, and I don't, I honestly don't want to.
0: <laughs> well, then, I mean, that's, that's certainly a question for the two of you to discern. Um, generally speaking, though, I think I think the answer would be yes, typically, um, because y- you want to be honest with one another, and it, particularly if somebody struggles with pornography, you want to know that before you make a lifelong decision. And if you don't know that, you don't have all the information. You, you can't make a decision to marry somebody if you don't have all the data before you. Um, and so I think some of that needs to come out. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't mean that you share every graphic detail of everything that's ever happened. That would be too much. But I do think that you need to kind of at least have a sense of what's this person's relational history like? How many people have they dated? How many people have they actually really loved? And the reason you kind of want to know that is because you want to know if this person's capable of falling in love. Like if if they have been in love before and they've gotten their heart broken, that's a good person to date. If, if it's somebody who's just been casual and is only hooked up and randomly, you know, only a, uh, circumspect or surface level relationships you know, hey, that guy's got some growing up to do. Kind of want to know that um, as you're making a decision to move forward in the relationship. So, again, I can't tell you what to do per se um, and if you've, you guys have not had that conversation because that's a decision that each of you have made I'm not asking you right now, this isn't a session, so I'm just speaking abstractly here. Um, that's fine, I respect that. Um, but generally, I would give people the advice to say, you need to at least have some knowledge of where this person has been. Um, honestly, even at a, even, even at a very practical level, if the person has an STD or something of that nature, those are decisions and questions that you gotta, you, you have to know before you give your body over to that person. Um, and if you're, and if you still love them and it, they have a long standing STD, something like herpes or something like that, are you choosing then to still love that person in the commitment of marriage, knowing that there's going to be obstacles or challenges that are going to be present there? So, you just kind of want to know all of that.
1: So, long distance is fun. Said no one ever. Um, Not even close. earlier, you were talking about, like, balancing the act of, like, staying, like, the busyness that people struggle with in dating relationships and, like, kind of, like, not doing that. And in long distance, I find that that's ultimately harder because you have smaller windows of time to spend your life together. And mostly, that seems like sometimes it, it turns into business a lot more easily. Do you have any recommendations on how to keep that balanced? And then, yeah, just how to, one? How do you continue to like progress with a long distance relationship? Um, as it seems like in the moment,
0: it's going to be a, a moment before you're like really together. Yeah, no, great question. So this is actually where I've been dogging the phones and the social media stuff. This is actually where um, it, this helps the most, actually, is the connectivity that we have um, in 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 our day and age. Um, so uh, we have so many conversations now on Instagram or Snapchat or uh, any other social media platform, whatever it is. If you're on Facebook or whatever um, – you can still kind of find funny things instead of being like where you're kind of next to each other and you're, you're scrolling. You're like, oh, that's hilarious and you share with the person next to you because you're just kind of together. You can still do that. You can be like, oh, I'm going to text this to her. You know, That's really funny and so and see what she says and kind of keeping that conversation some of those impromptu conversations kind of happening. I think that's one. The second thing is that you have to be more intentional about creating time for each other. Like you're saying every night we're going to chat on the phone or we're going to FaceTime or we're going to do something that we're going to be having a regular conversation every night. Because the the um, back to that word accident, the, the accidental encounters where if you're dating somebody is on, on campus and you're both kind of walking out of class at the same time and it's 12 o'clock and you're like, hey cool what's going on girl good to see you, hey let's go get some lunch, right? Those type of things don't happen when someone's over here in another state and you're over here. So you have to be very intentional on in making sure that the conversations you're having uh, are regular and are rich. And, and if you find that you're only getting into like the business stuff, then you gotta set some of that, si- some of that aside. You just gotta have the regular kind of chatty stuff. Hey, you know, watch the Oscars last night. What you think? Ah, man, you know, listen, Green Book I think is a good movie, but Black Panther was really the one that should've won, right, you know, come on. <laughs> Let's just claim it. Like the Black Panther was the movie that actually impacted black culture in America. I'm just saying. Let's talk about it. Right? Nobody saw the green book, right? Then you just kinda of talk about those things, right? I'm sure it's a fine movie. Not dog in the movie. Just Black Panther was awesome. So is that is that too simple?
1: It was simple in the sense that there was one thing you said in particular, like do the FaceTime and the phone calls like every night. Is that really that prudent to do like every night and kind of thing? Cause that's one thing that I've, I've noticed as a struggle is like, how do you find that balance just like time wise when you have like, um, like do you want to be doing like contact every day? Cause like sometimes even in a found in normal dating relationships when you don't have the, the distance between you, you still don't see each other necessarily every day, but like you also have the text and the call. So it's like
0: mm-hmm. that fun balance, you know? Yeah, I mean, you guys have to make it work for, your, for each other. And if it's too much for the two of you, then, then it's too much. At least twice a week. At least twice a week. If you're going a week, two weeks without talking to somebody, I mean, if it's that easy to, to, to not be thinking about her, you know, not wanting to share something with her, then those are things you kind of want to put into your own discernment. So it's got to be some, with some frequency. It doesn't have to be every day, but it's got to be with, certainly with some frequency.
1: Yeah, that's
0: better. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to make all my scrupulous types, you know, freaked out. Every night at 7 o'clock, we have to talk for 47 minutes because that's the optimal time of intimate conversations, according to <laughs> Dr. Mario Sacasa.
3: <laughs> um, so how do we reconcile the fact that, you know, we know that we're made for, to spend eternity with Jesus, but we're surrounded by people telling
0: us that you're, uh, the person you're dating or your spouse should be your other half or your
3: whole world. How do you reconcile that?
0: They're not your whole world. Yeah, great question. So, ready? Theology of the Body 101. Here we go. Sacramental Catechesis 101. The person is a window to God, but isn't God. My spouse at no point is God. I have God. I have Jesus. And you realize that there are those limits there. Like, my relationship with Jesus is personal, is intimate, is more intimate than my relationship with my spouse. She will never fully understand who I am in my deepest, most personal level. Only Jesus knows that. And vice versa, only Jesus knows who she is at the most intimate and most deep level. Um, so it's, it's, the, it's the communion of the two. It's the fact that, that we are coming together in, in, a, in a relationship that we're trying to figure each other out. And the balance, as I said earlier, with busyness, but let, let maybe I mean, I'll put, it, uh, put something else on the table here for, for thought is the challenge for any relationship really is um, the time between me and we. Me time and we time. Healthy relationships are what we call interdependent. And that means that I know who I am, she knows who she is, individual people, but we come together in an intimate relationship nonetheless. But our personalities, our individual differences don't get obliterated. I'm still me, she is still she, and we are we. See how that models the Trinity? The father is still the father, the son is still the son, the Holy Spirit is still the Holy Spirit, but the three together make one person, okay? So it's that mystery of, of togetherness in individuality uh, that really kind of sums up. So the cultural narrative that says your your spouse is to complete you, where does that come from? Well, in a world that becomes more secular, in a world that loses sight of God, we turn to the next best thing. And you know what the next best thing is? Us. Us. I think C.S. Lewis says this: next to the Eucharist itself, uh, the person is the closest you'll get to seeing God. And so, when we when we dim the lights on God, and we and we cut ourselves off from the transcendent reality that is the, the eternal Father, we naturally then our eyes, because we're still drawn to beauty, because we still have desire for connection, intimacy, we still have a longing for something more to complete us. We still have that within us, and if we're, we've dimmed the lights on God, we we naturally then just turn that to the next best thing, and that's, that's each other. The problem is that we're always gonna fail, <laughs> because none of us are God. Um, so your spouse will compliment you, absolutely. You'll find that the person you end up with will be different than you in some ways. One might be a spender, one might be a saver, one might be more introverted, one might be more extroverted. That sort of complementarity, not just in the sexes, but in personality, tends to happen. And that's good, because I found in my time, like. I'm one of the fundamental differences me and my spouse. When we see a problem, she's the one to more, to be more patient and be like, "Okay, like we'll figure it out, we'll deal with the circumstances and let's just kind of take a step back." And I'm like, "Heck no, we're going to solve that thing, we're going to get the solution, we're going to keep going." And that's one of our that's one of the differences that we have when we when we encounter problems. In over 16 years, there's times where finding the solution and getting the problem fixed and moving on has been the right thing, and there've been other times where being patient, waiting Dealing with it, working it, working, accepting it, working it out has been the right thing also. So knowing when which one needs to take the lead is, is part of the magic of marriage. Um, so your spouse does not complete you, as they say in Jerry Maguire. Uh, you, that's an old reference, so I just showed my age there. It's awesome. But... Uh, But your spouse certainly complements you. And together, that complementarity manifests God's presence to the world once you actually get to marriage and living in that sacramental union, which means then you become an icon to the world of God's invisible presence to all uh, because there's a prophetic nature to marriage. Great questions, guys. This has been awesome.
2: Um, So you talked about how there's just like the regular hierarchy of like, Relationships going from friendship um, all the way to marriage, um, and just like with emotional and physical um, levels in that. But um, what are some examples of levels of prayer as you progress through marriage, and like what?
0: Um, should great question. You, yeah. Great question. Jeez, that's <laughs> a great question. Well. On your first date, you can only say one Our Father. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you get married, you can say a whole rosary together. How about that? Is that? <laughs> Joking. Because um, pr- the question is, is, is well thought out. I really appreciate it because uh, prayer is intimate. And, and I was just having a conversation with, with a friend of mine here recently who said that he was talking about some of his friends when they were dating and that sometimes prayer would actually be a source of temptation for them. They would be late at night. They'd say these prayers, and they'd be really intimate and try, trying to pray together, and, and 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 spiritually loving one another, emotionally loving one another. And what do you think wants to follow after that, right? It's it's just that's that's love. That's the way it is. See, physical sexual love always flows out of deep emotional and spiritual connection. Um, so, I'm not sure if that's what you're asking, but if, if that is what you're asking, if anybody finds themselves in that circumstance, then you have, to, you have to just be aware of that and recognize that even with the best of intentions, like praying together, if it's become a temptation for, for sexual activity in some way, then don't pray intimately at 1 o'clock in the morning in the room by yourselves. Just saying, right? Like, go to the Adoration Chapel outside. Put yourself in a position where you're not going to fall. Um, so I, I think, again, if, if all of this, if we really put a lot of stock, or I'm trying to encourage you guys to put a lot of stock on on the organic process of relationships, that's another way of saying what I've been trying to communicate, and a natural kind of coming together of things, then you're going to see that sometimes emotional intimacy might 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 peak, or Prayer intimacy might peak or physical intimacy you might have a season where you're struggling with that a little bit more it's kind of peaking but together you're trying to build this thing where by the time you get to marriage hopefully you have you have full you know kind of at least to the state that you're in right now fullness at least within the three bars and so then when you're approaching your wedding night and your married life together you're, you're building upon that moving forward um, so more than you know, how many hail marys you can say. I know that wasn't what you were asking, but I was being funny with that. Um, you know, it's 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 more a question of the quality of the prayer. So, how that connects in with emotional life is that if you if you're having these more intense conversations, you actually know more about your spouse, and you know more, uh, or your, I shouldn't say your spouse, you know more about your 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 girlfriend or your boyfriend or your fiance and what to pray for um, for them. So, if they have shared that they that um, they're struggling with their relationship with their parent, for example, then that's a place that you can intercede for them. And that's awesome, man, because now you have somebody intimately connected with you that's, that isn't just listening to you, but is actually interceding for you. That's really super cool, right? That's, that's what this whole thing is supposed to be. Um, or if you are struggling with a particular vice and you've invited the other person into that, then, yeah, being able to, to pray for them as well. So they, they kind of do go hand in hand, um, But if it is a source of temptation at that point, just be smart about it. All right. So I have a a few questions, kind of under the same. You're only allowed one. (laughs) Shoot, it's one. It just has a bunch of commas and semicolons. (laughs) (laughs) Semicolons. It's a Pauline statement. Yes. Um,
1: So, what is your advice for dating couples who aren't of the same religion? So, say a Catholic and a non-Catholic Christian. Um, And how do you see like problems in relationships and marriages? as
0: far as that, and how to handle that? And also, like, what's the role um, of the Catholic in that situation? Great question. So yes, you can date somebody of a different religion or a different faith background. Absolutely, you can. Um, so if you find yourself drawn to somebody like that, then, then discern that, enter into that. Um, what is the role of the Catholic in that? I mean, the role of the Catholic is to the role of a Catholic anywhere is whereas baptized Christians, we're bringing God into the world, and so you're bringing God into the relationship. I think the, the main thing is when there are um, big differences like that, so we'll say, we'll put religion or politics, we'll put both of those on the table. If one is a staunch Democrat and one's a staunch Republican, or one's really hard in, in, in one faith and one's really adamant in the other, is can you, are, there, are, are there sufficient points of agreement is there respect and understanding for the other person's faith and, and viewpoints, um, or is it always a sense of, of tension, or even worse, is it is it a pull? Is it a tug of war where you're trying to prove your point your point and be right, and she's trying to prove her point and be right? Um, so the role of the Catholic in that is always to be charitable, um, regardless of what the circumstances are. Um, the church certainly allows for marriages to happen, um, and it has certain rights, and I don't have to get into all the specifics of it, that are different for when you're marrying a Catholic than when you're marrying a, a, a Protestant, and then when you're marrying somebody who, who uh, isn't baptized. There are rights uh, for each of those circumstances, and that's going to get more technical than we need to for right now, but there is openness within all of that. Um, so... Is that sufficient? Do you you have some more you want to follow up with something else on that? Do you see any problems with like maybe couples that you've counseled as
1: far as that, as far as like things that struggle that they struggle with that maybe they could overcome or things that were kind of signs that maybe this shouldn't have worked out?
0: I think where it becomes a real problem is when you start having kids and you have to you got to have an agreement of what faith you're going to raise the child. I think that's a big one And whatever the decision is that you make. You got to stick with it. Um, so, the Catholic Church, if you're marrying somebody, you're just going to ask that you raise your children Catholic. That's, that's part of the, the intentions that, that are asked of you uh, before you're able to give consent for, for the, the wedding vows. Um, so, if you're going to raise your kid Catholic, if that's something you can agree to, how does your other half feel about that? About receiving the sacraments, about being baptized as an infant, uh, about being part of the Catholic tradition? How do they feel about that? Those, those are going to be some of the questions that, that, that need to be kind of navigated. Um, those are the places where the conversation becomes real. You know, there's, there's no middle ground. You have to kind of, kind of have to make one. And you can still expose to the other faith, the other tradition. At the end of the day, the child's going to make a decision for themselves as they get older. Absolutely. But what's, again, what's the foundation that's going to be given here?
1: Dr. Murray, do you have any dating advice for shy people?
0: Great question. Um, brush up your Instagram page. Get no, get on Tinder. No, I'm just joking. It's even worse. Awful, 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 awful. Um, for shy people, coraggio, right? Coraggio, courage, courage. I reiterate the sense of fear, man. I just think that we 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 live in this age where we have so much fear gripping our hearts and anxiety. You you know how you you know how you overcome anxiety in your life. You face it. I mean, it's really what it is. You you stop running from whatever the thing is that you're afraid of, and you turn around and you face it, and you deal with it. And so if it's asking somebody out or putting yourself in a position where you're in a circle where you want a guy to ask you out or you want to start talking to him, the the only way that 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 situation is not going to be fearful is by you stepping into that water just a little bit and then walking away from it and saying, oh, I was still alive. The lion didn't get me. I didn't die because of it. Okay? And when you have those experiences and you're able to face those fears, even as small, and then you step into it and then you walk away and things are still okay, that's when you stop being afraid of it. So if it is a guy that's asking this question, I'm not sure, and you have a hard time asking girls out, well, then you just need to start asking girls out. It's as simple as that. And and that may sound ridiculous, but it's really just the truth. You ask somebody out and then you realize like oh she said yes or she said no and i'm still alive to tell the story it's okay it's okay so if you're shy if you're introverted that's okay and actually that's not just okay that's beautiful because that's part of your personality and introversion is 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 a uh, often lives in the shadow of the extroverts but introversion is a gift to society also and as any society, we need a balance between the introverts and the extroverts. And unfortunately, we, have extroverted. we live in an extroverted age, um, but introversion has its own gifts as well. And so you pray for God then to be able to put you in the right circumstances to be found. That's it. You want, we always want to be in circumstances where we can allow God to find us and where his grace may manifest in people. So put yourself out there a little bit. The introverts want to go real deep. That's the thing. Extroverts just want to kind of float at the surface usually. And that's, that's generalizations, but that's typically what happens. The sanguins have a hard time staying committed and will just follow every little shiny thing that's happening you know, around them. Ooh, shiny, huh? go to that, you know, and just kind of keep moving. The introverts make a decision, they think about it, they process it internally, and then once they emerge, they're, they're ready to kind of move forward with that. Um, and so, again, we need both um, in society and in relationships. Um, so work with your introversion. Work with it. I'm not opposed. I was joking. About, I wouldn't go on Tinder. I certainly wouldn't go on that. I, that's just hookup. That's all that is. Um, but if there are other websites or things that make it easy for you, that's great. Or uh, there's great people here right now. You know, maybe we can have some conversations afterwards. a Little mixer at the at the JP2 house. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, any any of those things are certainly options. Okay. Um, so that's what I'll say. Can I answer one final question? You guys give me five more minutes. Is that all right? If you need to go, that's cool. But this is one question I want to really want to end with. Are you asking a question? Yeah, ask away. No, you're great. <laughs> Fired.
3: Can you talk about just like the complementarity of male and female and like how a woman can bring out the masculinity in the man that she's dating?
0: Yeah, great question. Jeez. Okay, so we're going to end with that one. Um, <laughs> The gift of womanhood is is two things. Okay, speaking generally, again, generally, these things aren't aren't hard and fast stereotypes, but they're but they're generalizations that exist. One is her capacity to receive, and the second is her capacity to intuit, intuition. We often uh, make fun of women when we say that she's being irrational. And I think that's a that's a that's a terrible thing to to, to claim, and and not just for the reasons that I think we, we we want to say because the reality is that sometimes women are irrational, but that's not always a bad thing because what we have what we have done in our day and age is we have become hyper masculine in saying that truth can only be discovered in rationality. Truth cannot only be discovered in rationality, and that's the gift that women bring: intuition, emotional feeling, sensitivity. I have a feeling in my gut that this isn't a good thing. We need to know that. We need to we need to hold on to that. And so how can a woman draw out so so anyway some receptivity and intuition. Masculinity then is is defined the genius of masculinity is is in initiation. The father initiates creation. The father that's why God is considered father not because he has a gender but because when we talk about the masculine dimension of reality, we speak about it in the sense that it's this—it's the initiator, and the feminine is, is that which receives. So initiation, as well as then that rationality. So men, if we can use Jordan Peterson's language here, men bring structure, and women bring um, chaos, disorder, not in a negative sense, creativity. So banks, and then the water that flows in the river. The rock, and the water. So masculinity is always kind of demonstrated in that, and so the two should always work in harmony with one another, complementing one another. When there are no banks, there's a flood. When there is no river, it's it's a drought. It's a dry waterbed. We need both kind of working together. And so when when men are 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 demonstrating their masculinity in a way that is respectful, in 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 uh, endearing to the woman, then that allows her heart to feel safe within that. But then a woman who is not being overly critical uh, in, in allows for some of these imperfections to take place within her husband allows for a space of rest and security. So then there's this balance, again, also of going out into the workplace and coming home and finding rest. And so together, we, we should be able to, to, to find a balance of structure and creativity, of initiation, of receptivity, um, of strength and of gentleness, of logic, and of intuition. Uh, in, 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 and again, it's in the relationship that allows all of this to kind of unfold. Um, so, I don't know specifically how that answers your question. <laughs> um, but if you are a woman, continue to be a woman, and the real men will be attracted to that. If you are a man, continue to be a man, and the real women will be attracted to that. Uh, and you will draw that out of each other. There are times where, I, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself, okay? So let, let's, let's. I'll give you a key moment in my life where I had to grow up as a man. Um, as I said earlier, I, I'm, I'm the spender in my relationship, and Kristen is the saver. Um, and so we got to a point where we were in real financial kind of struggle. I wasn't making a lot of money. There's a whole other story that I can share at another point. And up to that point, this is probably uh, ten years into our marriage, um, and my wife is the one who always managed the budget in our relationship up until that point, where at that point it became too much of a burden for her. The, the whole, like, I have to figure it all out I have to work with what I have was just too much for her. That's the way she kind of operates. And I had to, and some of it is that she was really good at it, but honestly, some of it is that I was just lazy as a man. It was easy just to abdicate responsibility of the budget to my wife so she could just kind of do that. Um, but once I realized the toll that it was taking on her because what was coming in wasn't equaling what was going out, and she was really anxious about it because, again, right, she's the one who tries to deal with the problem as it comes. Remember I said this earlier? Um, and so I, when I realized that, I had to grow up, take the budget, and be a man, and stop abdicating that responsibility to her. So I grew up, I took the budget, I did my Dave Ramsey courses, and I have managed the budget, you know, ever since. Um... So that's a way where we, 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 we are finding that complement that even in relationships, even in marriages, you're, there's always opportunities to grow up one, one or the other um, in, in finding that place of maturity. So I think that answered the question. Last question that I want to answer here that was posed um, earlier. So we'll say this. It kind of goes to, I think what somebody said earlier is, um, and I think this is a great way to end this, Uh, Is there such a thing as one person set aside by God for you, like Sarah in the book of Tobit, if you are called to marriage? And how do you know instead of dating all the wrong people? So is there a soulmate is the question. Great, great question. I will say this. The book of Tobit, and with this will end, is an awesome masterpiece of God's providence. If you're not familiar with the book, read it. I'm going to give you a basic outline right now. There's this guy named Tobit who's living in Nineveh. Nineveh is a bad place. Remember remember anybody remember Jonah? Right? The story of Jonah. Where did Jonah go? Where did he not want to go? Nineveh. <laughs> Tobit's living in Nineveh, okay? It's a bad place. And he's trying to be a faithful Jew, and one of the ways he's he's demonstrating his faithfulness is by upholding Jewish burial rites. So anytime a Jewish person dies in Nineveh, he is burying them according to the customs of the Jewish law. The people in Nineveh don't like this, and they're threatening death to him. But he continues to do it because he's a faithful person. So the story goes that one night, one of his brethren dies. He's up all night digging the hole and burying him according to Jewish customs. And then he's so tired because he spent all night doing this that he falls asleep with his head up. And he falls asleep with his head up, and then a bird comes and defecates in his eyes. That's what it says. I don't think it says defecates, and it may not say something else. But we're going to roll with that word for today, because that's the most appropriate for the podcast. Um, It's another word, but I was thinking, but it's not appropriate. So we're going to keep going. Anyways, the bird does its business. And so Tobit says, what the heck, God? I was doing your work, right? I was doing your work, and this is the things I get. You know how long he was blind? Anybody know? Anybody have a guess how long he was blind? So you read it, and you keep going through the story. You're like, oh, it's two sentences. You know how long he was blind? Four years. Four years after this event that he's blind. Can't work. His wife uh, has to take up a job, and so she's, like, criticizing him, like, oh, this this is your God? Yeah, good job. Yeah, thanks, God. Thanks. Many of us have been in that circumstance. I'm doing your work, God, and this is what I get poop in my eyes thank you thank you right so he says a prayer of death that's what he says he says the most faithful thing he feels like he can do in the midst of his despair is just to say god end it so he says this prayer and he believes it so much so that he then sends his son off to go find some money that he set aside at his cousin in a neighboring town um that's basically going to be his inheritance he's like god's going to answer this prayer i'm going to die make sure at least my son and my wife are taken care of go get that money this is how the story goes so we put a pause on that. Now we introduce the other set of characters. A girl named Sarah. Sarah has been married six times. And on the wedding night of every single one of them, a demon who has taken a liking to her has killed every one of her husbands. Bam, bam, bam. Right? This is what the story says. It's really awesome. I love it. It's so fascinating. So Sarah says her prayer, which is just basically the same thing. God, just put an end to this. I'm done. This is, this, is, this is what my life is going to be. Might as well just end it, and let me be with you in all the time of eternity. So two people in various different circumstances who have no idea who each other are have cried out to the Lord in a particular way, and God answers both of their prayers not the way that they asked it, though. So what happens is that Tobit sends his son Tobias out to Ragul's house, who is Sarah's dad. That's where the money is. And an angel in the skies, the angel Raphael in the skies, guides them in this relationship. Goes, they get, fall in love, they get married, uh, Raphael slaughters the, um, the, the demons, so they're able to, to share in their love, and then they come back, and he has money, he has the livestock, and they heal Tobit, and everything ends happening. Right? So the question is asked, do we have somebody set aside like that? And why did I just go through all of that? The thing is, Is there a soulmate? Probably. Should you be worried about whether the person you're dating is that person or not? No. No. Because the amount of pressure that that type of thinking puts on any given relationship is terrifying. It's terrifying. I've heard all the theology of the body talks. For all the time in eternity, God has this one person for you to spend the rest of your life with. It's beautiful when you're married. It really is. When I can think about how God orchestrates things in my life to have met my wife and that this is the relationship that we're going to have, it's awesome. That type of thinking on your third date (laughs) is terrifying. For all of time of eternity, is this the woman I'm supposed to marry? She makes her coffee weird, right? You know, like, (laughs) can I deal with that? The thing is that in the story of Tobit, all these things had to happen. Like, this had to happen and this had to happen so that the right timing for Tobiah and Sarah to meet had to occur. Tobit had to suffer for four years so that the timing was right so that he can meet the woman of his dreams. You don't know what God is doing in your life. And you don't know what he's doing in the life of whoever your spouse is going to be. You have no idea how God is operating out of our consciousness and orchestrating things and circumstances in a certain way so that when the time comes, you will meet the person that you're supposed to meet and that you will discern a relationship together so that when you get married, it will be the right time. Period. Period. So don't get caught up in thinking, is this or is this the soulmate or whatever it is. Just follow the things I talked about at the very beginning. Rest, relax, enjoy each other's company, build on the small things. And then that question will become clear in its own time. So having said that, thank you guys for allowing me to be part of this evening. Thank you for being part of this podcast. Uh, I'm very grateful to, to be able to share this with the audience. And, um, and I hope you guys have an awesome, awesome night. God bless That was awesome. It was a great time, and I hope that you had as much fun listening to this episode as I had recording it. But now, it's on you. If you have a friend who needs this advice, please share this episode with them directly. Or if you really enjoyed it, please leave a comment or review so that others can take advantage of what we talked about in this episode. Also, if you are a campus minister and would like for me to come to do an open Q&A like this on your campus, please DM me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. It would be an honor to come. And remember, Always Hope is a production of willwood's Faith in Marriage. God bless everyone and be good.